I'm DeWitt Bingham. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show, where we discuss all things social and criminal justice related, from the front end to the back end, and everything in between. You have a right to remain silent, because anything you say can and will be held against you. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. You're in the self-incrimination protection zone, where there is no cruel and unusual punishment, no illegal search and seizure. The exclusionary rule has you covered. So sit back, relax, and become sold on this week's episode. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show. I'm DeWitt Bingham, your host. Thank you for tuning in to the show that discusses all things social justice and criminal justice, where the goals are to inform you, the American citizen of your constitutional rights, provide educational and occupational guidance to high school and college students, and to be a voice for change. I'm excited about today's show because we're continuing our Heartland Community College extravaganza with one more of my wonderful students, giving emerging adults a voice. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to some and present to others, the gifted and talented, Miss Anita Cavalcante. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Anita. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. Well, it is a blessing to have you on. Before we get into segment one, I just want to check in with you to see how things are going. So how are things going in terms of the course? It's going fine. I love this course. It's actually my first criminal justice course after I just changed my major. I'm so glad I changed it. Awesome. Okay. So has it been difficult navigating through the course online, instructors like to know that they are are having a presence. And what I mean by that, uh, that you feel as though you have easy access to me. Has there been any difficulty navigating the course? No, not at all. I email you, you answer right away. So no, not at all. When I have questions, you're there. So that's awesome. Oh, man, that is music to my ears. You aren't just saying that because we are looking at each other face to face, are you? Mm, maybe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> awesome. Uh, no difficulty at all. Right. Very good. Uh, any suggestions, though, for me? I don't think so. I think you're doing a pretty awesome job. Uh, oh, okay. Thank you. This is the end of the seventh week, and you've had five homework assignments and two tests. And you are doing marvelous thus far. <laughs> Segment one. Segment one is for the educational and occupational guidance of high school and college students. We accomplished this by having our guests introduce themselves. So if you would tell the audience where you were born and raised, what high school you attended, your planned major, why you enrolled in the class and give us one career go. So I don't think you know this, but I was born in Brazil and I moved here seven years ago. I was born in a little island in Brazil called Idabella. Um, I moved here because my mom got remarried to my stepdad. Um, I attended normal community for two years. However, I didn't move. So I went to Bloomington High School for two years. And that's where I got graduated. 
I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a criminal lawyer. Uh, and because my mom is a lawyer, she's a family lawyer for the Allison and Mosby Scott on firm. I don't know if you know that, but. Awesome. Yeah. So you are originally from Brazil. Oh, my goodness. I have a Brazilian, native Brazilian on my podcast. I can now shut it down. It doesn't get any better than that. Awesome, Anita. In regard to transitioning from high school to college, what is one piece of advice you'd give to high school students that are looking forward to making that transition from high school to college? I think my biggest issue that I had when I uh, transitioned to the college life was that I wanted to get it done right away. And I want to get all the classes that I could so I could graduate college early because I didn't want to spend four years in college. I wanted to spend maybe three, three and a half because then I have the law school or whatever school I wanted because I want a major education. Uh, and so I took like six classes every semester for my first year. And it was awful. I didn't have no life outside of school <laughs> and I regret it so much. So I hope the seniors in uh, high school, they don't do that because they don't recommend it. Oh, so. All right. Segment two, constitutional rights. The theme of our course textbook is individual rights versus public safety. We sometimes are required to give up our individual rights for the safety of the American people i.e. 9-11 and the insurrection, where the courts are ordering insurrectionists to turn over their emails and phone records. We all have individual rights that the system must respect. That said, what is your favorite constitutional right? My favorite one, I didn't know all of them because I'm not from here, but I did look them up and everything. And I think the favorite one was the Sixth, Sixth Amendment, just because... I think everyone should have the right to have uh, a public trial and the right to have a lawyer, the right to have a jury and everything. Because if we we didn't have that, we could if someone made a crime and someone else looked like that person, they wouldn't have the opportunity to tell them that is not the person that committed the, the crime. And our system would be so messed up. Yes. One of the great things about the American criminal justice system that I'm sure you've learned by now is that you are innocent until proven guilty. And the Sixth Amendment is a very, very important part of that process, whereby if you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed to you. In other words, if you are indigent and you don't have the money to be able to hire an attorney to represent yourself. I know you know all that, seeing how your mom is an attorney. Yeah, she was actually, she worked, she was one of the assistant uh, lawyer for the uh, county here just a couple of weeks ago, and then she got a new job. She was the child abuse lawyer. So families that didn't have, like they couldn't afford a lawyer, she would represent those families for child abuse. Awesome. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, man, I have to figure out who your mom is (laughs) because I'm actually getting ready to retire after 36 years down at the probation department. And it would be wonderful to meet her prior to my retirement. All right. Very good. Before we move on to segment three, this week we started unit three with the first chapter being entitled The Courts. You've learned about the United States Supreme Court, 
being the highest court in the land. The difference between beyond a reasonable doubt and a preponderance of the evidence, writ of certiorari, and the court's involvement in the Ferguson, Missouri, police officer killing of Michael Brown. A letter was sent to the chief judge of the city of Ferguson warning the court of its misuse of fines and fees resulting in discrimination against the poor citizens of the city. The courts in Ferguson had a history of issuing arrest warrants for not paying fines and fees. In addition, they were not providing notice or counsel, suppressed license as a means of coercion, not affording people adequate procedural protections, setting bond to cause indigent defendants to remain in jail. Ferguson, for our audience, is 70 percent black and 30 percent white and had only three black police officers. Blacks accounted for 90 percent of the tickets that were issued and 93 percent of arrests. People were arrested for jaywalking, disturbing the peace, and force was used almost exclusively against black folk. The DOJ report said racial bias was so ingrained that Ferguson officials circulated racist jokes on email accounts, stating Barack Obama wouldn't be president for long because no black man holds a job for four years. Emails included cartoons that depicted African-Americans as monkeys and described black women having abortions as a way to curb crime. My question to you, Anita, is should we be locking people up for failure to pay fines and fees? Just give me your opinion on what you think about people being jailed for not having the ability to pay a ticket. What's your thoughts on that? I don't think they should 100 percent not. That just like bothers me because they don't have the ability to. So I think that we should have like help them maybe help getting a job education to get a better job. Um, But no, I don't think they should go to jail for those reasons. Okay. All right. Should police departments reflect the demographics of a city? I mentioned that in Ferguson, and it's my belief that that was part of the problem with what was going on in Ferguson is that the police force did not reflect the demographics of the city. And I mentioned on, I think it might have been last week or the week before that, that my undergrad alma mater, Lincoln University, which is a historical black college, is the first historical black college to start a police academy. And the approach is training white officers and black officers or white officers and officers of color together. Taking that approach is designed to help everyone become more acclimated to different races. But my question to you is, should police departments reflect the demographics of their cities? For example, here in Bloomington, Bloomington is 10 percent black and probably somewhere between 10 to 15 percent people of color. Do you think, first of all, do you think that police departments should reflect the demographics of a city? No, I agree with you 100 percent. I think they should train together because they're serving the same purpose. They're just helping everyone. I mean, they're humans. They're, the color doesn't define a person. So I think they should definitely learn the same things, learn, learn how to de-escalate everything. 
white people, they need to deescalate just like as African-Americans do as well. I mean, they they deal with different things every day. So deescalate would be something that they have to train and that would be a, that would impact them a lot. OK, good. So you you would agree with Lincoln University's approach with training them together. So when they are at the academy, they are becoming acclimated to different races. Is there any other way that or approach that we could uh, take to def- diversify the police departments? Because a lot of times what you hear, Anita, is that police departments have trouble hiring people of color. And so I'm sure you are aware that, take for instance, at a Heartland Community College, what they have is search committees. In other words, they actually put it out there and may even go to recruit individuals work at Heartland Community College. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's an approach that police departments should use? Should pol- police departments pursue individuals that may not have grown up here in Bloomington? Should they reach out to police academies for, say, like my suggestion would be to go to Lincoln University and recruit police officers that are actually going through that training. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that would be a good idea. I also think, so I, I work at Best Buy and we have a rule that we have to have a certain percentage being like African-American or like Asian, whatever, whatever, um, like it's, it's any, they can be, uh, they can be like a hundred percent white people because that would be discrimination. So I think every job should have that. And then, Depending on like, say, Bloomington, you said about 10 to 15 percent on we have African-Americans. So I think about 10 to 15 percent of all the police officers in Bloomington should be African-American or Asian or Brazilian, whatever it could be, just so it would benefit everyone. Even at Best Buy, you're saying that they have some diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. built into their hiring practices. Awesome. Correct. All right. Very good. Segment three. Being a voice for change. As emerging adults going through life who grew up in, well, I can't really say this totally for you. (laughs) I did not know that you actually were born in Brazil. That is just too awesome. (laughs) For the past few years, let's just say that you grew up in a predominantly white America. What say you about white supremacy and Black Lives Matter? So I think we definitely have white supremacy. It definitely exists still. Just because if we didn't, we wouldn't have the Black Lives Matters march and stuff. If we didn't have the issue, people wouldn't act like that. If we look in the last five years of police brutality, we can see that it definitely exists. And it's just sad. Not all, but there is a white supremacy to white people still. And they just treat people different because I, I mean, I'm, I wasn't born here and I was treated different in high school or college still. They just, I feel like some people, they judge our culture for most of the time. So I definitely think it does exist. And I do, I believe um, black lives matter for sure. Not just black lives, all the lives matter. And I, I don't think it should be an issue Still, because now it's 2022 and I can't believe it's still an issue with white supremacy. Okay, awesome job, Nita. All right. I asked all my guests 
What would you like to see the Biden administration accomplish? So this is an idea that I came up with in psychology class. Uh, not so Norway and Finland, they do that. I don't know. I want to know your opinion, too. OK. Uh, and so in prisons in Norway and Finland, they have they could get education in all the prisons there. I do believe that we have an issue here in American that prisoners, when they do come out, if they come out, they don't know what to do out here. They have been there for so long that when they come out, they don't have a job. They don't have education. They don't have anything. So I do believe if they do get an education degree or anything to help them to get a job out here would help a lot. My psychology professor was telling me that a couple of years ago, there was a guy that he came out of prison but he didn't have family. He didn't have a college degree. He didn't have anything. So he robbed a bank and then he waited outside to actually go back to prison because prison, he has food, he has a bed, he has everything. And here he didn't know how to accomplish those stuff. So I do believe an assist, uh, education system in prisons would be very beneficial for everyone. Absolutely. That definitely Ever since I've been in the criminal justice system, I've been studying it and uh, teaching it now for over 40 years, going back to my uh, undergrad days. And there's always been this adversarial type of relationship between rehabilitation and punishment. And certainly the research shows that the more educated an individual is, the more likely they are to find a job and less likely they are to get themselves into trouble or reoffend once they actually come out. So you are exactly right. That is something that we ought to make priority when it comes to prisons, that we have some type of educational system, major educational system that will educate our offenders prior to their release. Wonderful. You actually have done some research. You talking about uh, other countries. Awesome. I just want to say yesterday uh, I asked the question, what would you like to see Biden, the Biden administration accomplish? I just want to say that yesterday he accomplished one of my wishes. That was to nominate the first black woman to the Supreme Court, Tangie Brown Jackson. What do you think about that? That's awesome. That's so awesome. I wish that wasn't your wish because I wish we didn't have to actually wait that long, but I just hope for more now. Awesome. But yeah, that is so awesome. Okay. Excellent. I got to throw this in prior to judge Jackson's nomination into the Supreme court. There was 115 Supreme court justices. 108 were white men. What do you think about free community cop? I do think it should be definitely free. I think education is something that everyone should have. I know in Brazil, we have free, like totally free on like high school and some colleges. Uh, so I do definitely think we should have free education here. I mean, education moves you so far and it just keeps you out of trouble. So if we have education for all, that would just make Americans so much better. Voter suppression. Is there a relationship between voting and the criminal justice system, what do you think? I think so, because I think vote impact everything. I think you have to choose who you want to represent you. 
So I definitely think voting represents and impacts everything. Uh, criminal justice system, because you, you have to choose who you want to represent and who you want to choose the stuff for you. Absolutely. And final question. Do you think there should be no knock warrants? Before you answer, I asked you to consider what happened to Amir Locke and Breonna Taylor and that 70 percent of no knock warrants are executed on the black community, even though the black community makes up only 15 percent of the country. I don't think no knock should be a thing. Uh, It's just too it's too dangerous for everyone. You'd never know when that could happen. I don't know. Some people can carry a gun at home and if they come in and you have a gun and you don't know who's coming into your house, you can shoot the police officer because you think someone getting in your house to steal something. So I don't think no knock should be a thing. All right. Very good. Excellent job, Anita. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Heartland Community College student at the front end of her college career important constitutional rights and an emerging adult voice on how to make America great until next time. Keep living your best life. God bless and Godspeed. speak. <laughs>